What's good, fam? It's your man, Norm, here. Are you following us on social media yet? If not, you may find us on all of the major social platforms such as Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even LinkedIn. Find us at New Numa. That's P-N-E-U-P-N-E-U-M-A. From there, you may find myself and Justin and follow our personal accounts also. As you know, feedback helps everyone grow and we need your feedback. If you want to join our team, have suggestions on how we may improve, if you want to be interviewed by us, or if you have someone you would like for us to interview, please email us at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you would like to see our podcast grow to that next level, you may also give financially to the cause whenever you feel like it by going to our anchor.fm page, clicking on the button that says support this podcast. We will greatly appreciate you sowing into the vision to help us spread the good news about the truth of God's kingdom worldwide. Thanks for your support and keep it locked right here. Welcome to the show, Will. Uh, thank you so much, Norman. Good to be on with you. Yeah, man. Um, so it's going back to November, I think, is when I first reached out to you. And um, <clears throat> that was because I was watching a video on YouTube, and um, it was uh, Sean Bowles. He was talking about you and how mm-hmm. you connected with this one guy. And um, and when I heard the story, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I need to definitely talk to these guys. And um, <laughs> so I took it upon myself to look you up. And then I just happened to, um, I think the first time around, I just wrote your name down. And um, I was that might have been before November that I wrote your name down. And I said, I got to get in touch with this person. And then... I heard your name again, um, and because I think I was listening to the same video, because I was I was going through a cycle, like uh, a circuit of videos of Sean Bowles, and then um, certain ones were kind of speaking to me more than others, and um, then I happened to see a, a slight a slight snippet of an interview that you did with someone else. And I was like, Oh man, I keep forgetting to get in touch with him. So finally I was like, all right, let me do it. You know? So I, I reached out to you on Facebook. I figured I would find you there and I did, which was really great. And uh, so now here we are, man. I'm just glad that, you know, we finally connected. And um, so for the, for the sake of the audience, Give them your name and and just um, give them a brief description of, you know, who you are and and the type of person that we're talking to right now. <laughs> All right. Well, honestly, it's, it's an honor to be on here with you, Norman. Uh, I appreciate you, y- y- y'all that's even tuning in right now. My name is Will Ford, and uh, I'm married to De Havilland, and uh, we have four amazing children and uh two in college two in preschool <laughs> we always like to say and uh we here in the dallas area i'm a professor at christ for the nations institute and what most people know me for though you know christ for the nations i focus on the marketplace major i'm raising up these uh young people who don't want to just take revival into the 1040 window uh, which is like the unreached people group uh, area, latitude, longitude, that everybody, all the missiologists talk about. But there's a group of young people that want to take uh, the gospel into the 9 to 5 window, which I think is the largest unreached people group. In other words, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., that work hour time period, or 7 p.m. to 3 p.m., whatever time, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., whatever time you work. In other words, that the workplace is the place where God wants to bring transformation, the place where people love, you know, uh, meet, the people, place where people are getting educated, the place where uh, people are uh, connecting. 
the most is in the marketplace. Matter of fact, Jesus, most of his miracles were done in the marketplace. Uh, uh, of all the miracles done in the book of Acts, even 40 miracles uh, mentioned, only one was done in the temple. So this goes to show you where, where God's heart is. His heart is for the marketplace. And so I'm raising with these marketplace leaders. been doing that for eight years now at Christ for the Nations as students in every kind of sphere of influence you can imagine, from uh, art and entertainment to uh to uh, uh, some working on Capitol Hill and government, some amazing mothers, the hand that rocks the cradle still rules the world. And then we have some who are running for city council. We have some who have many of them start their own businesses. So that's what I've been doing there. But what most people know me for is for this 200-year-old kettle pot, Norman, that's been in my family. You like Norm or Norman? Either one is good with me, man. <laughs> okay, good deal. Uh, so, uh, it, so uh, Norman, uh, uh, this 200-year-old kettle pot has been in my family. It's about 200 years old. It was used by the slaves of my family. It's the reason why it was passed down. They used it for cooking. They used it for washing clothes. But secretly, they used this kettle pot, this cast-iron kettle pot. They used it for prayer. They were owned by the slave master who would beat them for uh, many reasons, but prayer was one particular reason why he would beat them. And he didn't want them to pray because he felt like prayer would foster hope, and if they got hopeful, he felt like they would try to run away. So this man literally beat them if he heard them praying. But these folks were Christians, and they decided to pray anyway. So what they would do is they'd go into a barn late at night to make sure their prayer meeting wasn't seen, but to make sure it wasn't heard, they used this cast iron kettle pot. So they go into a barn late at night to make sure the prayer meeting wasn't seen. But then to make sure it wasn't heard, they would use that cast iron pot. They would turn it upside down on the cabin floor. They would invert it, turn it upside down, and then put rocks up on the edges, about three or four of them, to prop it up about an inch or two. And then they would lay flat on the ground. They would prostrate themselves on the ground, and they would put their lips in between the opening, between the ground and the kettle, so that the kettle pot muffled their voices as they prayed through the night. And the story, Norman, that they passed down this pot is that they didn't think they would see freedom in their time. So they prayed for the freedom of their children and the next generation. So one wow. day freedom comes, this young teenage girl, she decides to keep that pot, that story in our family. Why? Because she's probably thinking about all those who are dead and gone who risked their lives to pray for her. She's probably thinking about all those who are too old to enjoy the freedom she's about to embrace. So she keeps that pot and that story in our family. And she passes the pot and story down to Harriet Lockett. Harriet Lockett then passes it on to her daughter, Nora Lockett. Nora Lockett passes it on to her son, William Ford Sr., then passes it on to William Ford Jr., and then gave it to me, William Ford III. So I've been taking that pot around the country, Norman, to remind people that we have a prayer bowl. Revelation 5 and 8 says, Our bowls in heaven full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we have these slaves, and this just wasn't in my family. I found that other slaves around the country prayed the same way they did in my family, using those pots to muffle their voices. But they were just using that as an acoustic means to keep their prayers from being uh, heard. Literally, there's a prayer bowl in heaven according to Revelation 5 and 8 that catches our prayers. So it was the prayers of a godly remnant of black Christian slaves, but not only black Christian slaves, but also white Christian abolitionists. It was those people at that time period who prayed into being the first and the second great awakening. Had it not been for revival, slavery would not have ended in our nation. So I just dare not believe the same God that broke the power of uh, slavery back then. He can break the power of whatever is holding us back today. So all that to say, I've been taking that pot around the country since 2001. And then 2003, 2004, I had a dream about the dream of Martin Luther King, where God began to deal with me by, by my own uh, unforgiveness issues with the race issue. And a friend of mine asked me to share that dream at the Lincoln Memorial on MLK Celebration Day. And so, uh, well, there was this white guy who happened to come to that event. His name was Matt. And the last thing just happened to be Lockett, and he was led to that gathering because of a dream. He dreamed about the guy who was actually holding the event. And so we thought, you know, cool, cool incident, you know, we, he bought, he had his last name Lockett, and I asked how y'all spell your name. Lockett with two T's or one, he said, with uh, two. I said, all my family was with one. But we thought it was this cool coincidence. We became friends. We've been friends for 15, 16 years now. Well, fast forward, that white friend of mine, Matt Lockett, found out 
about four or five years ago, that the Civil War ended in his family's front yard. So we thought, cool coincidence. You got this wow, where General Lee fought his last battle in front of a house owned by your family. And here I have this kettle pot where slaves prayed for freedom. We thought, cool coincidence. But then, Norman, we stumbled on more research about a year and a half later and did more research. And we learned that it was Matt's family who owned my family where that kettle pot came from. Wow. That's amazing, yeah, and this, man. That's and, and, this, and this happened to two guys who met at the Lincoln Memorial, led by dreams, to the place where Dr. King said, and I have a dream speech, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. So he and I wrote a book about this uh, called The Dream King, how the dream of Martin Luther King's being fulfilled to heal racism in America. And we travel the country together and speak on prayer, unity, and revival, you know, and, and, and contend for releasing, God releasing the culture of life today, all those things. So that's kind of what people know me for right now. More, more, wow, man. Uh, what I do in a nine-to-five. But I love what I get to yeah. do in a nine-to-five, Norm, because, listen, if we don't change the marketplace, we don't change the world. And there was people yeah. in revival into the marketplace during the days of slavery that brought the demise of it and again the shift the way people think and thought about the, the slavery issues. I believe God wants to raise up people who carry revival spirit on them right now with a prophetic spirit on them into the marketplace to uh, shift the way people think about the culture of death that we have in our nation right now to shift the way uh, people think about uh, a lot of different things concerning God's heart and for people to taste and see that the Lord is good so they can understand the morals, the values, the ethics, the precepts of the kingdom, and more importantly, receive life in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's my heart, and that's why I do all of what I do. Wow, man, that's a lot of stuff, man. That's some good stuff, too. So we're going to come back to that, but I want to go back to your childhood. Um, yeah. Everybody has a you know, story of where they came from, who they are, how they became who they are. And I know that you obviously came from a Christian family, but, um, you know, even in that, there's a story to be told. So talk about how, how it was, where you're from, first of all, and then how it was for you growing up. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, I'm one of... One of five, uh, you know, siblings, you know, my family, brothers and sisters, um, uh, older brother, three younger sisters, five of us. And uh, grew up, you know, middle class, black home. And uh, my dad was like the entrepreneur's entrepreneur. And uh, this man, he just knew how to put deals together and uh, get things started. Uh, and uh, he, was, he was probably a millionaire three or four times, Norman. Uh, had it lost, it had it lost, it had it lost. It. But uh, Daddy was really uh, just, he loved the Bible, especially the New Testament. And I got my love for the Word of God and, and memorizing Scripture. I got that from my dad. My mother's side of the family was... Uh, you know, with, with you know, with the success that came with my, my father in, in business, and of course, also came the temptations that came along the way, also too. And so, uh, uh, my parents divorced when I was like nine years old. So, uh, my mother uh, was part of a uh, Baptist church. You know, good old you know, uh, uh, black Baptist you know, missionary Baptist church, right? <laughs> so she was a member of that. But uh, so my 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 mother was just was devout in what she where she went to church and what she did. The, unfortunately, the preacher was you know wasn't this uh, uh, sold out to holiness as uh, he would like people to think he was. So she was in this you know lukewarm church where they had kind of church drama going on. My dad would have this love for the New Testament, so I started going to church with him. But my dad was in a very, very legalistic church. And uh, that church that he was in, it was, uh, the, the focus was on the right name being on the front of the building. The focus was on the right things being done in the building. For example, uh, that church my dad was part of, they didn't believe in instruments being in the church. They didn't believe uh, that any church that had Baptist, Methodist, or Lutheran or whatever, if you had that in the front name, the front name of your building, then uh, you couldn't be saved because uh, the Bible says the only one name under heaven and earth by, by which men shall be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. So they were very serious about 
not going or fellowshipping with any church uh, that had uh, didn't have the name Jesus Christ on the front of the building. Uh, and then also, too, they, they were very serious about baptism. If you didn't get baptized right after you said the sinner's prayer, and you had to wait a week and you died in between that week, well, you, you didn't make it into heaven. You had to be baptized. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. And I had one of them tell me I was going to knock the bottom out of hell for, for leaving. Wow. Thing. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what, that's what the, the you know, like. while we, while we're on that subject, man, I got to say this. Yes. It's so, it's mm-hmm. so a shame that in the body of Christ, we have so much division over someone misunderstanding scripture, someone misinterpreting scripture, someone being dogmatic about a certain verse. And I mean, you know, it's just so ridiculous. And really it's like when people miss the fact that we're all saying that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of us all and that you know, we are serving him and we are called to walk in love and all those kind of things. That's where we just, it, it just destroys the unity and all that. So even when I think about that in itself, when we get that together, that's going to be a, a feat in itself. That's going to be major because there's so much division in the body across the board just on doctrine alone, much yeah, less. True you know, race and all that kind of stuff, you know, or, you know, those kind of situations. So, I mean, that's just interesting how you were talking about, you know, they wouldn't even fellowship with somebody if they didn't have the right. name that they had on their church. That doesn't even make sense, you know. That doesn't make sense. And then, uh, you know, just very, very, you know, we would call it legalism. And the best definition I ever heard for legalism is this. Legalism is when people try to strive towards innocence. In other words, you work, it's a work salvation model where what Jesus Christ did on the cross was not uh, the full payment for your sins. You have to work for your own salvation. Now, we're supposed to work out our salvation. We're not supposed to work for our salvation. That's what legalism does. Legalism puts you into a place where you're jumping through hoops to uh, to try to please pastors and try to please peers and and uh, and then once you get the hoop down, then they turn it into a flaming hoop and raise it a little bit higher. So you're never going to measure up in a religious system like that. Like that, it's, it's spiritually abusive. And the thing that I tell people about when it when it comes to legalism is this: at least with uh, a cult, you know for the most part what's going on in a cult. But a very spiritually abusive church. It's a little bit more deceptive, and the spiritually, it's more powerful in terms of, in terms of the damage. It's more powerful in terms of the damage it can do to people, because um, when you're in an environment like that, it's so toxic and it's so subtle, but the spirit of uh, just control and manipulation is so pervasive in it. It, it really makes hard, harder, that much harder for people to get out of it. And a lot of times, those guys are such good leaders in terms of controlling people and also being charisma and uh, and and uh, the ability to attract, draw a crowd they're so good at that that uh, it just you know they, they they get the right kind of people around them to support and uphold their reputation and lend their credibility to to all the stuff that's going on without realizing what's going on behind the scenes so anyway all that to say I went through that growing up and 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 then I, I so I, I got up enough nerve to I left the lukewarm church with my mother grew out of that then went to the charismaniac church not, not charismaniac church that, that wasn't this one yet but the went to the legalistic other church where, you know, we couldn't, you know, they didn't believe in the gifts of the spirit either. So couldn't raise your hands, couldn't speak in tongues. But guess what, Norman? I got baptized in the Holy Spirit while I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I blew up that whole thing. <laughs> that, that blew that whole thing up. They didn't believe in that, so I had to get out of there. But then <laughs> wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I can't. You can't you can't just gloss over that one, man. We got to know how in the world did that happen. Oh, well, you know, honestly what happened to me, uh, I wrote a, I remember I used to write out my prayers in that time. I had a lot of questions, so I wrote down this prayer 
And I said, God, is tongues real? Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is there a second evidence? Is it really real and legit? I really want to know. And it took like six months later, God answered that prayer. Uh, I was in a service with a friend of mine, and uh, the person who was leading it said, you know what? I'm changing the whole message. God wants me to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It was very scripturally sound, all that. And at the end, boom, I got I got baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I've been speaking in tongues ever since. Wow. So that means you were visiting a friend's church? Yep. Yep. This is where, wow. you know, I got up enough nerve to... To, to uh to, to venture out. <laughs> so anyway, so I leave yeah. that church and then I wind up going to a charismaniac church. <laughs> and and, and which was more legalistic than the other church that I just left. So I went from don't raise your hands to you better raise your hands. I went from don't speak in tongues to you better speak in tongues. And and and, and it was just it was rough. So I, I got to the place normal where I said Okay, God, I'm so tired of trying to give you my life. I'm done trying to give you my life. And that's when I heard the Lord say to me, Good. Now you, I got you right where I want you. Let me give you my life. And that's where, you know, it says in Romans, like it's five, I think it's 525, that we're saved by his life. We're saved by Christ. So we can't give our life to Christ. There's a thing of surrender. I understand the surrender. But... This thing is a gift. Salvation is a gift. This whole spirit life is a gift, and you can't earn a gift. If you could earn it, it wouldn't be a gift. Right? I had this friend years ago who said, uh, hey, I got, got this furniture. that we, I know y'all just got this, this new place. Uh, let me give you this amazing, she gave me this amazing, uh, like, den, like, coffee table thing. Really, really nice. Five years went along, and guess what happened? She said, well, you know, we just moved to another place, and that coffee table looked really good in my house, so I need to have back. Like, hold up. Was that a gift or not? (laughs) 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 Then it stays, but if it's it's just uh, something that you're loaning, you just, like, uh, using using my my living room as as a store, storehouse you know what i mean if i'm if i'm you know just just a storage place or something like that then all the bets are off so there wasn't a gift a gift is something that you don't take back and a gift is something that you didn't earn it's something you don't pay for it's a gift and you can't earn it or unearn it that's what salvation is and that's what impacted me the most is learning that i could not work for god's love i couldn't earn God's love. Without that really sunk in that it was a gift and I couldn't earn it or unearn it. I lost a job actually, Norm, because what happened is <laughs> I I realized I had been working for God's love because I've been working for my father's affection. I you know, my dad leaves at home, my whole image of God changes. That's why men are so powerful. The, the imagery that we portray before the, before our children is so powerful because we basically represent for them what God, not who God is, but what God is like. And if we present the wrong thing, it can set people, set, set uh, kids up into a performance trap where they either reject God or run away from him or they jump through all kinds of hoops trying to get God to like them and love them even more. And so that's what happened. That's what happened with me. Nine years old, I started chasing after my dad and I became anything I needed to be to be around him. But then when I fully came to life in Christ and really accepted him, uh, his, his, uh, his plan for my life, I realized I didn't know who I was. I had no idea who I was because I was jumping through all these hoops trying to make everybody around me like me. I was one big yes person. And the deal is this, when, if you don't have a, if you don't have a good no in your life, your yes will never mean anything. And so that's where I was. And so uh, if how things look is what matters most in your life, how things are would never be addressed. So it was during that time period that God began to heal my heart, my, you know, my damaged emotions, began to set me on the right course, right path. I learned what the grace of God was all about. I learned what the love of God was all about. And I learned that God didn't just love me, he also liked me. That was huge for me. That That's what was really transformative for my life. 
Wow, man, that's powerful. So obviously you gave your life to the Lord at a young age. You remember how old you were? I was nine years old reading a reading a chick track book <laughs> at home one night. And uh, oh, okay. I remember that's, that's that's when I first said the sinner's prayer and meant it. But uh, I didn't so, really understand what what that was until after uh, uh, after college and and uh, my, my my grace journey started uh, right after I graduated from Morehouse. So, what, at what age did you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Oh God, I probably was around uh, twenty eight, twenty nine years old. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So you've been kind of. Um, steeped in legalism for a lot of years. Then I was yeah, in, in different in different different forms, different shapes. Uh, a lot of it had to do with my own father wounded, because and that's what people who get trapped in that is a lot of it is because they had this father wound and they're looking for the validation and affirmation from a man. And so, yeah, um, yeah so that's how they get trapped in a, a place like that, get trapped in a system like that. And uh, uh, in this man-pleasing spirit kind of comes on people. And that, that's what and that's what broke them in. So let me ask you this, man. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it sounded like you were really trying to follow, in a sense, after your father's footsteps in some ways. But it also mm-hmm. sounded like there must have been some kind of a something broken in that relationship, maybe because of the fact that you were, you know, you were talking about trying to find his father type of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, is that is that a fair um, assumption, or am I um, not hearing oh, yeah, no, the right it's thing? A, no, you, you, it's a fair assumption. You know, the Bible says in the Ephesians, all men are shut, shut up in disobedience. <laughs> Your father, my father, they all, I don't care if he's, you know, uh, uh, who, who people think they are, whatever. Every every pop is going to miss it, so that yeah. God can be the true Father that can really bring the affirmation. Is there another, or is that that God shaped hole? No man can fill it. We can do the best that we can to represent who God is and what He's like, and we need to we need to do the best thing, the best we can at becoming godly men of God. And, uh, and 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 portray the heavenly Father the right way, but at the same time we're not the heavenly Father. <laughs> you know, we're, we can be a spiritual father to some people and mentor, but then when it comes to um, uh, that uh, replacing God, we can't. Nobody can replace God. So all that being said, my dad did the best he could with his upbringing. My dad did the best he could with, you know, the, the things he overcame to become the amazing businessman that he was. But at the same time, some of those deficits in his life were the things that opened the door to him being being trapped in the, the doing the, some of the things that he did and getting ensnared in some of the things that he got ensnared in. So you understand that stuff, of course, a lot later. You know, I'm 54 years old now, so you understand that stuff now. But the uh, high side is always twenty twenty, right? Yeah, man, I definitely feel you on that. So, um, so basically, around around this time when you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, is you said that's when you had just graduated from Morehouse, or well, I graduated from Morehouse, and uh, that's when I got introduced to the grace of God. Okay. And I started uh, okay. learning more about the grace message, and then um, about two years after that, that's when I that's when I leave leave that church, and then right around then, so about three or four years later. Okay. So um, I know that obviously you've gone through various transitions. There's a couple of um, places you've worked that I was really curious about. So I want the first one I want to ask you about is EX Ministries. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? G, G. Craig Lewis, good friend of mine, and uh, that was that was a good time. Uh, that was around the same time I was uh, hearing the revelation I was hearing about uh, influence, what it is, and how it operates. Uh, and the way that I met Craig was interesting. Uh, a friend of mine. Uh, well, one of my nephews actually 
he was telling me, he said, Uncle, you got to check this out. You know, this guy was saying some of the things like you're saying about influence, y'all never met before. And uh, you ever heard of him? Like, I never heard of him. And so I uh, went to his website. This was like 2004, maybe 2003, 2004. Go to his website. And I'm blown away because, you know, at the time, the, the stuff he had all about music and uh, and the rap rap industry, especially hip-hop in, in particular, uh, uh, really, you know, could see like he had a lot of research on this stuff. Then that night I, uh, I go to sleep. I have a dream. In the dream, I'm standing behind uh, G. Craig Lewis, and I'm praying for him. And so after... After that time of prayer, uh, in the dream, uh, there, there was this, I don't know, just a ship. I wake up in the dream, like, that was interesting. I'm standing behind this guy praying for him. So I, I felt like God was asking me to become an intercessor for him and pray for him. So <clears throat> the next day, this is not a dream, Norman. This actually happened. The next day after the dream, I'm flying out to go uh, travel and speak at a church. I'm going to park my car at DFW Airport. Thousands of parking spaces, right? Wouldn't you agree? Thousands of parking spaces at DFW Airport. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I go to park my car, and guess who parks right next to me? G. Craig Lewis. <laughs> wow. We pull into the parking lot, the par same parking space at the same time. Wow. And I looked at him. I said, so I wouldn't have recognized him had not been on the website the night before and had a dream. So I said, G. Craig Lewis? He said, what? You know, because at that time he was getting all the death threats and everything. And uh, uh -huh. he's like, what? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> that's my boy, though. But anyway, so we've been connected. We, I did, uh, uh, we did some DVD projects and we did research together. Guy has, you know, a, a different focus right now. But, um, you know, bless Craig. That's what's up. So, um, along the, along the way, you, you must have come across uh, Christ for the Nations, so how, Christ to the Nations, right? Um, no, it's, it's Christ, uh, Christ for the Nations. Yeah. Oh, for the Nations. Okay. So mm -hmm. how did that come about? Christ for the Nations, you know, um, I've, I've come through and spoken at, at different times, uh, done lectures on prayer and revival and other things. Uh, at Christ for the Nation. started around 2002, 2003 doing that. Uh, then uh, a spiritual father of mine, Dutch Sheets, went to Christ for the Nations and then uh, was later hired to be executive director for him. And uh, he was talking about putting together a business major. So why don't you call it the marketplace major and go after the, go after the marketplace of ideas? He said, huh. Come in, let's talk about that. And I wind up talking myself into a job. <laughs> and I've been there for the past eight years now. Wow, man. So, all right, so let's kind of back up a little bit. You and your, you said that uh, your mom was um, going to these, you know, this uh, legalistic church and everything. Did she ever... Her, her church was more lukewarm. Uh, my dad's church was more legalistic, and then the the, the, the and then the church after that, that one was the uh, the charismaniac church was the most legalistic church I'd ever been a part of. And I'm so I'm still charismatic to this day, but that that but my so my mother's church was more, you know. No, my mother's church was the church that people would say, you know, you, you know, you hear the term people play in church. That's that church. And so, uh, the, if you, think you want to say they were legalistic, I would say they would use the Bible to justify the sin in their life. Like, you know, God, well, God knows what a, He knows my heart. He knows my heart. You can't judge me. Like, I ain't judging you. The Word is judging you. One, two, you judging everybody else by their deeds, but you judge yourself by your intentions. And <laughs> that's still, that's called hypocrisy. So anyway, um, so in her church, I, it was more the lukewarm thing that was going on. So I'm assuming that she's still in it? Oh, uh, no. She she went on to be with Glory. You know, she went on to Glory uh, 2013. She didn't stay in that church okay. uh, forever, forever. But uh, she stayed, she prayed, and then when God told her to leave, she left. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Is your father still alive? 
Father passed away in 2008. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. My father passed away in 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing like, man. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, it leaves it leaves a little a little bit of sting there still, but he he was one of my best friends. But uh, he probably came around too later on and uh, uh, accepted where I, where I am in my faith and actually started believing in the gifts of the spirit too. So he he came around too. So you know, I just realized something. You um you were baptized in the Holy Spirit around like ninety five. Yeah, I would say that's around about the time. Yep. And the reason why that's... 94, 95, yeah. The reason why that's significant to me is because I've been meeting over the last, I would say, 10 years, I've been meeting a lot of people who the Lord was really going after between 1990 and 1999. Yeah, that was a... Yeah, with the, you know, the nation in terms of like... Well, not just... In America, but there was a powerful renewal movement that was going on. That was a legitimate move of the spirit. Some put, some would call it full-fledged revival. It depends on where you. I think some pockets did experience legitimate revival, but uh, that was a powerful, powerful time period where we saw the spirit of God move in ways. Honestly, I haven't seen a lot of that today. I, 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 the spirit of travail and prayer. Uh, the, some of the miracles that I saw back then, I mean, that was a tremendous time. Yeah, that so... The defining moment for me, the defining time period, the, the, the mid to late 90s, that, that was just epic. Yeah, man, I can definitely tell you that, um, like, the people... See, I didn't know about all the different things happening around the world at that time. Like... Mm-hmm. These things that I'm, I found out, I found out later on, like maybe a few years ago, when I started hearing about the Brownsville thing and the Toronto thing and stuff like that. That's because, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's because partly the internet wasn't really that, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. popping like that at that time where you could hear about stuff the next day or whatever, and everybody, everybody, everywhere knew about it. Or whatever, yeah, but a lot of live streams and all that kind of thing. You didn't, yeah, that kind of thing just yet. Yeah, so I was just kind of like, you know, just whatever was happening in my world, I knew what that was. But then mm-hmm. when I started connecting with other people and I started hearing about other things that were happening, I was like, wow, that's the same time frame. So then I started putting two and two together. But then you know, it's like more and more things were, you know, revealed to me by me talking to people and them telling me about stuff that they experienced or what they heard about or whatever. So that's when I started putting it together, like, okay, so God was doing something specifically in this time frame. And um, so it's just interesting to see see how that was happening at that time. But um, so... I want to kind of digress a little bit. So obviously you're married. You say you have two older ones in college and two that are preschool. So yeah. how did you meet your wife? The Haviland, she's amazing. Um, I, I, I just uh, just had some, you know, life ups and downs. Uh, went through a time where a uh, significant time of warfare where um, – just lost everything, and uh, in that time, uh, just crying out to the Lord for what else will we be doing next, and, and all that, and, and uh, uh, had an open vision, and I saw my, my now wife, the Helen, in a wedding dress, <laughs> and uh, I knew her, but I didn't, I never thought of her in that way, so I just kind of blew it off was on my, on, at work on my way. Going, going to uh, you know, you know, work in banking and uh, Tuesdays is all the, always those days where the overdraft fees kick in and people coming to the bank mad. <laughs> so uh, it was one of those days for me. So I had I had no thought of that at the forefront of my mind. But I see this young lady. I knew her, and I realized I had an open vision. I don't get visions like that. I usually get dreams. But I had a full movie screen open vision, see her in a wedding dress, 
on my way to an angry customer in a branch of a bank. <laughs> and so, um, so I closed my eyes, realized my eyes were open. I said, oh my God, that's open vision. And, uh, so I avoided her for about a month, <laughs> which is easy to do because we didn't live in the same city. But uh, after a month, uh, we wound up uh, at, a, at a meeting with some friends uh, and uh, got a chance to connect and just talk. And uh, as the old story goes, the rest was history. We uh, courted <laughs> people around us and uh, set a date for about a year cut that in half to six months and then we've been we've been married for be ten years coming up soon so wow man congratulations <laughs> oh thanks much yeah yeah so um that's really cool man so and like you know we especially when you, you you see yourself in a place where you didn't do anything you felt like to to bring that on so you go through all those things, and then you realize you made ministry a mistress, <laughs> and uh, you walk through that thing, and you realize that. And uh, but the thing that really got me through it was I realized, you know, because people would say different things or whatever. But the deal is, two things: you can always outlive a lie. That's one. And the second thing is this: you're not defined by the things that you haven't done. You're defined by the things that you overcome. No one's wow. defined by the things that they have not done. They're defined by the things they overcome. And so I realized if I grew in intimacy with the Lord and forgot about all the other things, just focused on my kids, and uh, you know, if, if God wanted me to have ministry back later on again, that would happen. If he didn't, that's fine. The thing that was most important was my focus on intimacy with the Lord, and and focus on those uh, those those children of mine, and everything else will take care of itself. And you know what? I'm uh, you know ten years on the other side of, of, of that season, and I'm telling you, it's it's it's, it's been amazing. It, there's been there's been pain in the offering, that's true, but I've grown to a level new level of authority because of my intimacy that was cultivated in that time with the Lord, and. Uh, uh, I'm a little bit sharper, a little bit wiser, and the things that I've gone through, I've been able to help other people walk through a lot better, and uh, it uh, makes a little bit more sense when you get a chance to do that to help other people out, but uh, uh, that's my, 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 my biggest takeaway is, is that you're not defined by the things you haven't done, because that is what can wear you out, because you... You go through something like that, you're like, man, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, or all, all those things you did. Then you finally realize, well, you know, spiritually, where was I at this place and that place? You accept those things, but then you still think, but so you always are striving towards this innocence thing, and that's what that legalism, that legalistic mindset will do to you anyway, put you in that place where you're always striving towards innocence, and then you realize you're not defined by the things you haven't done. <laughs> You're defined by the things that you overcome. And uh, yeah. you're not going to live a mistake-free life. Life happens. You know, uh, a good friend telling me during that time period, you know, quit trying to figure this out. you never be able to figure out demons and people <laughs> working together. You're never going to make sense of a mess like that. And so uh, it takes time wow. to fill up that kind of stuff in your life. You need other good people around you. You don't need to isolate yourself. Get a good fellowship of folks around you who believe in God's calling in life. Not just your ministry, but just love you and uh, and willing to walk walk with you. Spend time in humility and the Word. And spend time in prayer and just watch God move. And that's that's what I've been able to see over these past you know ten, fifteen years on the upside of it. So I want to talk about, I know that you're a professor at Christ for the Nations, um, yes. and the things that you're talking about, it sounds like that must have been your major when you were going to college. So, yeah, um, I, 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 when I was at Morehouse, I was a banking and finance major, and uh, oh. Dad and I went into business together, and uh, we made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, we made some more money, and <laughs> helped a lot of people along the way. And uh, I've always seen that, uh, you know, the, the real church is not that building. The real church is the person, the ecclesia. We have this faulty understanding of what... 
Christ said when he said, upon this rock I'll build my church. He wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about a people who had yeah. legislative authority. They were a governmental body in, in, in Roman times in that time period. So he wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about a people. He was talking about a movement. And so um, that's why I think even this whole time with uh, this, this uh, quarantine or whatever you want to call it with the COVID thing, the church is now really for the first time become the church. We're back at home. The focus not on, is not on the building. The focus is on the relationship with Jesus. The focus is on what he's calling us to do individually and collectively in, a, in a powerful ways. So the four walls of a building were never called the church. I had somebody say the other day, you know, uh, that they were really frustrated with the with the quarantine because uh, they, they've been seeing that all the non-essential, uh, only, 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 uh, only essential businesses and organizations are allowed to stay open. Everybody else has to close for two weeks. And on that list of non-essentials was 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 uh, churches. So they were talking about how how is it that in the world's eyes they would see it as non-essential. And I understand where they were going, but they failed to see that that building is not the church. That building is non-essential. But those right. those those healthcare workers who are Christians who are uh, going into those environments and and serving people and loving on and praying for them yes. you know and they provide they are the church the the the, the yes. people who are they're taking out food who are turning their restaurants into uh into uh places for food and shelter for people whatever uh, uh those 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 restaurants that are doing that and they're christians that are doing that that is the church doing what the church is doing? In other words, we're the most essential component of this whole thing, and we don't need a building to do it in. And yes. Without a building, we're a people. With an ecclesia. Man, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like that. I hope that people that are listening to this really take that to heart because um, I was just having this conversation with my co-host, Justin, and um, mm-hmm. and we were talking about that very thing, about this is a time for people to really see what the church is instead of what they think it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, he said his house, his house should be called a house of prayer. Now, all around the world, for Christians, our little zip code, our little address can now be that house of prayer. We don't have to go to the house of prayer. Our church, our house can become that house of prayer. You know? So anyway. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff right there, man. So, um, so you definitely, so how long, um, when did you actually uh, find that you were being called into the ministry? Yeah, um, when I realized I was being called into the ministry, you know, I used to, even when I was in business with my dad, I always had this thing where I loved the Bible. I loved the Bible. And I always saw myself speaking in front of thousands of people. I never knew how that was going to happen because my dad wasn't, my dad should have been a pastor and a preacher, but, uh, but he, but he, but he wasn't. And, uh, and I didn't have uh, any kind of connections, you know, like other people had, like following ministry or whatever. Uh, and <clears throat> I didn't know how I was going to do that, how that was going to happen. But I just could not shake two things. One, I love the Bible. And two, I love to pray. I feel more comfortable in a prayer room than I do anywhere else. That's where I thrive. That's where I come alive is in a prayer meeting. That's. You know, like some preachers get an unction when they stand in the pulpit and they're preaching. I don't get an unction until I pray. <laughs> Matter of fact, my yeah, own when I when I when I preach or when I teach, I'm more of a teaching prophetic guy, or whatever. But it's so that people can understand. I, I teach so that people can understand where I'm going, so that they can come in agreement with me at the end of my message in prayer. My whole focus is on the prayer time. So I've always been wired like that, but I never thought. Uh, who I know that's wired like that. So basically, what, my, what I'm saying is, I've been wired to be an intercessor and to lead people into intercession corporately. But I didn't know I'd have a model for that or whatever. And so I went to a place and I heard uh, Dutch Sheets minister for the first time back in '94, '95, that same time period that you and I were talking about. And he 
he gave a message for about 30, 40 minutes, and then he prayed for about an hour and led us into a corporate time of intercession that was so powerful. But then when he got through, I was like, that's exactly how I'm wired. I just got a chance to see that who what's inside of me be modeled. And, uh, you know, we do it differently, but uh, that's that that's when I realized there there's there, there's a place there's a space for me in in in, in that whole thing. And uh, I didn't know people around me who love prayer like that, but now I'm part of this movement of prayer. Been a part of it for like 20, 25 years now, and it's been amazing to see what God's been doing with that. So God basically rose me up, gave me this ministry, this calling carrying this memorial stone from the past to build altars to bring people to a place of group, praying for revival, praying for healing the racial divide, praying for the ending of abortion. And so that's, that's been my ministry, my calling. I thought it was something that wouldn't resonate with a lot of folks, but uh, that's what he has been doing. I've been doing what I've been doing, traveling 20 years now in traveling, speaking, teaching uh, ministry all around the world. And I don't even have, I've never, Built. I never made more than a hundred business cards in my, in my ministry lifetime uh, for my for my ministry. God has opened every single door. I've been somewhere every month. You don't have to try to chase ministry. Ministry would chase you down when God is the one who's raised you raises you up, and He's the one who opens the doors for you. It's been an amazing ride, and that's why I would tell anybody is like, you don't pursue ministry. Ministry will pursue you. You just focus on your relationship with the Lord and all the right doors are open at the right time. So let's let's kind of uh, I, I want to stay stay on that particular what you just said because there are a lot of people that'll be listening to this and they'll be thinking to themselves, well, I did all that, I prayed, I go to church, mm-hmm. I'm serving, I'm doing this and that and third, but I don't see where anything is opening up for me. Like I can talk about people who are in my family yeah. personally. And I know that they were serving the Lord and all that, but I didn't see where things really, you know, took off in their lives. And it feels like they've not really gone anywhere with it. So speak to them, like, how is it that, how do you view those kind of situations? Well, the way I view those situations, one, in this time period, when the doors aren't opening up and you're not traveling, you're not busy. Honestly, those time periods, I wish I had some of those times back. You never waste your days of obscurity. Those can be some of the most intimate times. Those are going to be some of the most precious times you're going to have with the Lord. A lot of the revelation that I got during that time period, was it, it was seminal. I'm still preaching stuff that I got in the secret place of that time period back then. Um, also, too, just it was that time of preparation for everything that I'm doing right now. So you don't know when the when the Lord is is going to use you when, you, when he's going to actually pull the pull the trigger and use you and that stuff. Uh, but in the time where you're being pulled back, he's pulling you back to keep you close. It's like you, you're like an arrow. You ever see a guy, you know, bow and arrow? He's pulling the arrow back. He's pulling it back. He's pulling his back. He's pulling his back. Yeah. The the, the arrow is getting closer to the person who's about to launch it. And that's what God is doing right now. He's just pulling you back so you can be closer to him before you get launched. But the longer you get pulled back and the further you pull back, guess what? It furthers your trajectory. And it helps you to hit the mark the way he wants you to hit the mark once he releases you. So, you know, that's one of the best analogies I know for talking about it is, you know, you're being pulled back, so let him pull you back. Don't get frustrated. Stay on your face fast. Fasting and prayer changed my life. When I started adding fasting to my prayer life, it, it, it changed my life. So fasting and, uh, and just growing in intimacy with the Lord, and uh, watch, watch God use you. I mean, it may be, it may not be two weeks from now. It may be twenty years from now. You know, my your friend uh, Lou Engel talked talked about how it wasn't until he turned about uh, forty five, fifty years old that he got really launched nationally into ministry. <laughs> wow! Been all that time, yeah, praying, fasting, 
you know, I'm not going before the Lord. Kind of had the same kind of upbringing I had. Grew up in a uh, kind of a legalistic denomination that was founded by his great, 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 great grandfather. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit and knows that he can't stand that denomination anymore. So he, he leaves the denomination as a leader in that denomination and takes a job mowing grass at a uh, at, at, at an elementary school. And he, he took the took the job so that he could mow grass and speak in tongues so that nobody could hear him. <laughs> and he would he would work as a janitor there and hide in the broom closet for hours speaking in tongues. That's what I'm talking about, man. So it's about you letting God work on your character. You growing in the intimacy with Him, and if you do that, you do it the right way in terms of you know going low. Take the low road. Let God raise you up. Don't try to self promote. Don't try to you know let God raise you up, and at the right time, He'll exalt you. That's a good word, man. So, where do you see yourself going um, in the future? What do you think God is doing, or what is He opening up to you now to show you what your um, what your future is looking like? Yeah, uh, for me, uh, looking at one of the more things uh, from broader scale and media. And also, too, uh, looking at more uh, to uh, point it to the next generation and uh, training up, raising up next generation of leaders. That's that's really on my heart right now. I, I feel like God uh, has me doing that right now. Okay. Now, I kind of missed the one word you said. I heard you say media, and there was another word you said. Media and mentoring. Media and pouring oh. to the next generation. Oh, okay, okay. So, media. Talk about that a little bit. What is it that you're trying to do in media? Well, you know, we got we got a few projects we're working on. Um, some in the uh, 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 on Christian platforms. Uh, working on some stuff with God TV, and then working on some other other others too that uh, I can't talk about. Uh, yeah. Just yet, but. Uh, working on some other things on some other larger platforms too and uh just getting into storytelling and getting getting into getting our message out uh with the, with the story my friend with uh with our story around uh, uh the sons, sons of former slaves sons of former slave when they're sitting at the table of brotherhood and uh, they have a lot of interest around that and so you know we're just uh praying through our options with that but yeah definitely want to see a broader scale that story uh, hit, hit different markets uh, regarding um, different media media outlets. Okay, that sounds good, man. So, is there any, um, I guess, any kind of information you would like to share with people as to number one, how they can contact you, how they can, you know, maybe yeah, sure. uh, yeah. follow you on social so, media stuff like that. Social media stuff. I'm hey, I'm, I'm learning, y'all. I'm getting better. <laughs> so I'm, on, I'm on Instagram at, at www will at, at w will So that's me on Instagram. So look me up there. And then um, on Facebook, I have a Facebook account, uh, William Ford the Third on Facebook. Uh, then also uh, I have a website, willfordministries.com. And my friend and I, Matt Lockett, who I shared a story about how, you know, the story we shared together in the book we brought together called The Dream King. You can access that book, The Dream King, and also learn more about our traveling together at dreamstreamco.com. Dreamstreamco.com. And, uh, and then also my wife and I, we have a ministry together called 818 The Sign. And, uh, you can go to 818thesign.org and learn about different conferences that we put together uh, every year. So August 6th through the 8th is our, is our next one that we have scheduled. Should uh, you know, we, we'll be able to be together and meet by that time. I think we will be, but we'll see. Sounds good, man. Well, um, man, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and um, so on this podcast. Appreciate you. Thank you for the time, and uh, uh, it's been a great time. Yeah, man. So I heard you say earlier you are like a teacher prophet, or are you saying that you're prophetically teaching? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, that's exactly it. Uh, I, God 
gives me dreams, visions, encounters, and they become these uh, parabolic kind of storytelling too, kind of like a parabolic prophet kind of thing, I guess. I don't know if that's a word for it, a phrase for it, but that's how God uses me. So my life kind of becomes a sign, and uh, and it becomes a, a, a place where I can teach and also bring people into a, into the power of a story that God is the narrator for. Okay. Wow. That's what's up, man. Well, again, it was good having you on the show, and I want you to, I'm going to end the show soon, but I want you to stay on the line um, so I could um, talk to you a couple more minutes, okay? Good deal. All right. Thank you again uh, for those that have been listening to New Numa Godcast. You can visit us at www.newnuma.com, and uh, we got all kinds of stuff that you can just look through on there. We have a forum where you can talk about certain topics. We have uh, you can subscribe to our list, our email list, and uh, we'll keep you in the loop of what we're doing and uh, things of that nature. Thank you again for listening to us today. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And uh, we look forward to um, hearing from you, and thank you for your support. Again, you've been listening to New Numa Godcast. Peace.